listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. Today, Tom is talking with Dr. Carmen Coleman and Dr. John Marshall. Carmen serves as Chief Academic Officer and John as Chief Equity Officer of Jefferson County Public Schools. The two have worked really hard together to shape powerful, equitable, and high-quality learning experiences for the over 100,000 students in Louisville, Kentucky. They've only known each other for about seven months, but Carmen and John's partnership is already strong and is deeply rooted in the notion that all students deserve a richer set of challenging experiences that prepare them for the innovation economy, also known as deeper learning. Let's listen in to learn more about the work John and Carmen are doing for the community and for the students of Louisville. Dr. John Marshall and Dr. Carmen Coleman, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Thank you. Yeah. What a treat to have you guys on, all the way from Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We're always glad to, to work with you. Well, Carmen, I, I know you well and uh, respect your work as, as well as any superintendent in the country. So I was super excited to hear that you took on the role of the chief academic officer in Louisville. Today, we're going to talk about Deeper learning for all, uh, the, really the new agenda in Louisville. And John, I'd love to get a, a little bit of your background. How did you get to uh, Jefferson County Schools? Uh, actually, honestly, I never left Jefferson County Schools. I'm a product of Jefferson County uh, Schools, um, public school through and through. So, uh, and I always knew that I was going to be a teacher. So, uh, after I graduated from Western Kentucky University with my teaching degree, I came back to Jefferson County, 1997, and I haven't left um, since. So, uh, Jefferson County has always been the place where I was going to start and probably finish my career, and that's that's how I got here. Never left. Born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. What did you teach? I taught English and uh, African American literature at Eastern High School. Um, how did you become Chief Equity Officer? That's a very unusual title. So. Who and when and how was it created? Uh, the, actually, the position here in Louisville, I mean, in Jefferson County has been around since the 90s, maybe even the 80s. Uh, but it was assistant superintendent of diversity, equity and poverty. It wasn't until the last two or three years where the title got changed to chief. But the history, the history of this position actually started um the Jefferson County public schools officials at that time saw a need to have someone in place to kind of manage and mitigate some of the changes that were going on uh, around student assignment, around um, city merger, uh, and decided that it would be advantageous for the district to have someone in place to manage the internal uh, expectations and needs of what a public school needs to do to prepare and uh, welcome the change, but also someone that could actually be a community advocate and a um, out there in the community and making sure that the community is informed on what is happening and what should not be happening. So it was a strategic plan from um, officials way before uh, myself and others to get this uh, assistant superintendent of diversity, equity and poverty in place to address some of the changes that were going on in the city and the school system. Carmen, you've been in uh, Jefferson County now for about a year and a half. No, only since um, July. How long has, uh, what, what's the history of the, the focus on uh, deeper learning in Louisville? So, John, you'll have to jump in here. You were here when that started. Um, what, what I know is that um, 
I want to say around 2012, John, is that right? Yes, there, there has been um, talks and it's in our strategic plan to address deeper learning and what the Jefferson County Board of Education wants to do and what they uh, recognize is the fact that there are some students that uh, might not be um, getting the traditional ways in which we teach and try to reach them. So the deeper learning um, aspect or the deeper learning expectations and goals is to uh, drive deeper in or drive further down the instruction so where kids can own it and kind of develop their own understanding of what learning is and be able to demonstrate their learning in different ways. Jefferson County Public Schools for a while, but definitely under the leadership of Dr. Coleman, is making a strong pivot towards student ownership, student accountability, and teachers kind of becoming facilitators to the learning. But it has been going on about 2012, 2013. Um, the deeper learning, the the deeper learning push has been in place, but that's exciting. And and around that time, Carmen, you were developing that agenda in in Danville, right? And so it was so funny because people from here, for example, the teachers union president Brent McKim reached out to me in Danville, and he just wanted to learn about what we were doing. He was really curious about our connections with the New York Performance Consortium schools. Um, so it's funny how we've been on kind of these parallel paths that would intersect from time to time. And what I thought as an outsider looking in, it was just so unique, was that the board and the teachers union were, were so aligned in their um in their focus on wanting deeper learning for for every student and recognizing you know the importance of, of doing that for the sake of equity. And um, so I've been really fascinated by what was happening here for a long time. And uh, so we're I think I think, you know, what we're being able to do now is is just the best work ever because we're being able to really help bring it to life. Uh, I want to come back and talk with you about the challenge of trying to do this at a at a massive scale. But, John, uh, um Connect the dots for our our listeners on deeper learning and equity. Why is that central to your equity agenda in Jefferson County? Uh, it's really about access and need. So what deeper learning does is it it provides it it allow it serves as a conduit, if you will, to be that connection between what um, students normally disenfranchised, underserved, uh, on the negative side of this quote unquote gap. It allows for uh, students such as that to get a um, richer curriculum, to get more innovative ways of uh, assessing and showing that they understand what is going on in the classroom. And it really focuses in deeper learning. And uh, Dr. Coleman says this all the time. Deeper learning is equity. And the reason that it's equity, because it, it, it doesn't serve as a as an equality type of education. It serves as an equity type of education, which means it, it gives students what they need. And it, it puts centers in the, it puts students in the center of the classroom and it allows teachers to see what John needs is different than what Carmen needs, but they're in the same classroom and they can be creative to reach that. So that's a great conclusion to reach because affluent, well-supported kids uh, have always had access to deeper learning experiences at school and at, at home during the summer. Uh, so I appreciate the, the instinct uh, to, to make that central, 
but let's let's agree this is about the hardest thing on the planet to do at scale in a high challenge community, right? The the shift in and of itself is difficult in the fact that uh, you know we're one of the biggest districts in the nation. It is a very different way to go about um, teaching and reaching students. So it is it is very massive. So um, under the leadership of Acting Superintendent Polio and Dr. Coleman and myself, we're, we're being strategic about it. But we understand that in order for this to come to scale, a it takes time, but b it takes actually it takes a strategy in which to do that, and it takes the principals and teachers being on board to uh, make that happen. What we most often see in high challenge communities is either drill and kill, or really low level, you know, activity. Uh, based project pro- project based learning not not at all rigorous uh, so how how do you find the middle ground of personalized and r- rigorous project based learning right it that's a great question we just um last week came across a great article from ed week a, a blog post that it, it was just about the myth that that the deep deeper learning has to be separate from the basics and that if you, you know, so for example, if you're a struggling reader, so many have believed that, well, we can't get into any deeper learning. You've got to learn to read. When in fact, we believe deeper learning is the way that kids can learn all the content and skills that they need. So we have several structures in place here that are very supportive. Along with John's team, we have a deeper learning office and a deeper learning team. And this is a team of teachers. Um, They're a small but powerful group. And they, I mean, they have been so well received by the schools. And so they are going out doing all kinds of so, you know, training and and all kinds of support, modeling, you know, top notch, that true gold standard PBL. Um, we are we are really promoting exhibitions district wide and really trying to put a real bright spotlight um, on what that 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 caliber of work needs to look like. Um we we just um, funded almost a million dollars. It was it was eight hundred and some thousand dollars of deeper learning proposals that schools submitted um, to support their their work. And then I think probably the the thing the initiative that's going to really bring it together is that idea of establishing a graduate profile. Um, and and then using that to leverage the kind of practices we want to see, because if if kids are going to have to show evidence of, you know, of their their skills and their um, their knowledge, if, if we expect them to have artifacts and present that evidence, then we've got to give them experiences so that they have evidence to share. And so just like we did with the Danville Diploma, we will really use this to leverage the kind of practices that we want and to ensure that all kids, all kids are going to have to make a case 
for themselves at certain times along their their educational pathway. And and so that means all. And so we can't just have a few kids being able to be in robotics club, for example, and think that's okay and that's enough and have a teacher or two doing project-based learning and think that's enough. We've got to make sure that all kids have these opportunities. So we are we are ready for some tough conversations. Um, but but pe- people have really um, they're really rising to the challenge, and they seem very excited. And we certainly have lots of support um, available in the district um, to make that happen. So I guess to go back to your question, we're trying to. We're trying to make this happen in several different ways, using several different vehicles. Uh, John, I know what a chief academic officer does, but what does a chief equity officer do? What what role do you and your team play in the district? So, um, and the chief equity officer is actually a um, position that's not uh, proliferated throughout public school systems yet, but uh, that might change too. But what what my job is, is to focus on the inequities, call them out, and then Uh, work with the uh, responsible chief or the responsible department and the school system as a whole, the school board to address them. So um, when we talk about disproportionate suspensions or we talk about disproportionate participation in gifted and talented, or we're talking about the um, lack but need and desire to have minority teachers, a lot of that sits in my department and we work with um, Chief, Chief Coleman and some other ones to to make that work. But the chief equity officer is is the kind of the person that says, this is good, but what about the kids that aren't, uh, in, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Carmen, that aren't performing correctly? What about the students that we are suspending subjectively? And what about the practices that we are using that are actually crippling some of our students? Uh, and that's kind of what the chief equity officer does, unapologetically looks at the whole system, calls out the inequities, and uses research-based best practices to figure out how to address them, along with keeping the community involved and fired up and supporting us, um, but honestly um, giving the candid conversations as well. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. Today we're talking with Dr. Carmen Coleman and Dr. John Marshall from Jefferson County Public Schools in Kentucky. If you're enjoying this episode, be sure to check us out on iTunes or on our blog, gettingsmart.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes featuring voices from leaders in the space, sharing their thoughts on various education topics, tools, and trends. Be sure to hit subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Now, let's get back to Tom, John, and Carmen. So it sounds like you could have a real adversarial relationship with with your colleagues the, like Carmen. So Carmen, how, how do you work with a a chief equity officer. Yeah. So um, we are, I mean, I feel like we are so aligned in our philosophy. We, and we're just starting, I feel like we're just getting a good foothold. You know, it takes a while to get in a place like this and even get your bearings. <laughs> like, whoo. Um, but, but like today, for example, um, Dr. Marshall made me aware of a teacher that was doing some, just really doing some, some really great and unique things um, in her approach to curriculum and, and teaching. And so I actually went out this morning and met with her and, um, you know, and then I'm trying to think about how do we, 
And so how do we, you know, really help her to impact as many teachers as possible? And then, you know, we also have developed a, a principal pipeline program. So we didn't, we hadn't for a few years here had anything in place as far as leadership development. So John, you probably haven't even seen this yet. I reached out to John. So one of the things I want to do with that group um, is, and, and just what he said, we're, I want people to become aware of the inequities that we just I mean, there's so many things that we do that we just assume are part of the way school is done that we don't even think about it as being horribly wrong, you know, and and all with the best of intentions. But but truly, I mean, John and I are alike in that we're both helping schools to face those inequities and then think about how to remedy those. Um, so yeah, it, yeah, I mean, it could be adverse. I mean, you know, if, if you're, if you're nervous in a school about, I mean, yeah, John could make you nervous because he's going to call your attention to things that you might not want to talk about. But, but the good news is I think we're making it really safe, um, to think differently and, and, and it's a have to. So, John, would you uh, might you work with the chief academic officer on things like weighted student funding and uh, teacher assignments, making sure that those are equitably distributed? Absolutely. And that's, you know, moving forward. um, That's that's the kind of stuff that a chief equity officer, a chief academic officer, chief financial officer would actually sit down and think about. But one of the things I I really have to uh, put in here is. It's research, it's research, it's best practices, research proven. I don't go in here with my feelings on my shoulder and Carmen doesn't come in with her feelings. We, we lay the data out and we lay the research out and then we say, this is what uh, the research says. This is what we're doing. Does it align? Does it not? And what we try to do as um, chiefs, if you will, and as leaders is get the school district, get the teachers, get the principals, whoever, to start looking at it and employing those practices that really make a difference. Yes, it can be confrontational, but I don't, I maintain that I don't, I'm not on the phone with the chief academic officer that shies away from the inequities. When I first met her, uh, she said equity almost as much as she said inequity, almost as much as she said deeper learning and believes that deeper learning is a way to address inequities. So we're very much married in our thoughts and in what we believe an urban school district needs. So, John, are you a problem finder or a problem solver? How, how do you you think about your role? Uh, I, I think you have to be both. Um, and the problem finder is now I'm not running around looking for the problems. That, that's really and in an urban school district, you don't have to. I mean, if you go with the data, if you go with the data and you go with understanding the historical things that are going on inside of our school systems, and inside of a, a, a city, because it's bigger than the school system as well. Um, it, it's really not hunting for problems. It's cre- it's seeing the problem and having the courage to face it and not shy away from the things that uh, uh, some some may want to shy away from. If we're really serious about an urban school district, which the majority is now of color and 67 percent plus free and reduced lunch, we don't have time to shy away from co- conversations around race, conversations around curriculum, conversations around disproportionate suspension, conversation around cultural collisions. 
we don't have time to shy away from that. So it's not that I'm looking for problems. The problems are there and we have to look at it and solve it from an equitable lens. So I want to ask you both to respond to a question about what you've learned about leadership in the last year. You're, you're both in this giant system with 100,000 kids. Uh, you're trying to promote equity and deeper learning simultaneously, something that we, we there's very few success models at scale of this. Um, you both have sort of line um, roles. You're not an area superintendent, so you don't really have direct hire fire uh, over people running schools, right? So you, how, how in the world do you exert positive leadership on this challenging agenda across a, a massive system. Car- Carmen, what have you learned about that job in the last year? You know, I was, I was um, respectfully intimidated, I'll say, um, of the size when I came. But you know what I have learned is that when you get to schools, there's still schools, It doesn't matter how big the district is. Those schools are schools and those are communities of children and adults together and families every day. And so, you know, it and what matters, I have seen that no matter the size of the district, relationships matter. People have to know what you believe. And I think if the leadership has a clear vision and can make it simple, not simple. I don't say simple, meaning that simple so people can understand. That's not it. But just something that people can relate to, you know, so we've come up with this backpack, kind of a, a, I don't know, that's sort of our symbol for this graduate profile idea. I mean, if you, you know what you're about, you're very clear about what the end goal needs to be. And and I have found that even in a place this size, people really rally around that. They want leadership. They want, you know, something they can believe in. And, and there's so much talent. So as intimidating as the numbers are, I always say we have many challenges, but the hope is far greater and the potential for good is far greater than the challenges. John, how would you, how would you describe your, your leadership approach to this? You have a tough job in a tough system or the tough agenda. I think the leadership approach in which I kind of subscribe to a, um, I'm big on making sure people understand deeper learning and equity are actually not left and right. They're the same hand. Um, and, and that's one of the things we work on. But what I've learned a, as a leader is there's one thing good teachers want to do, and that's become great. So Carmen Coleman went to go visit Shashray McCormick in a high poverty school to the teacher she was referring to in a high poverty school uh, with um, a lot of students of color. And she is teaching at a very high level um, uh, with her pedagogy students. And they're talking about this is elementary and they're talking about. Uh, racism and they're talking about sexism and they're talking about the history of uh, the creation of civilizations. And what I have learned to do is identify the teachers that are really and truly embracing deeper learning, cultural competency, whatever you want to call it, and pull them up. You heard Dr. Coleman say we need to figure out a way to uh, get teachers like that 
not more limelight, but get them, allow them to expose their skills to other teachers that are a getting it and want to be great and teachers that are struggling. So what I've learned is to find teachers that are leaders and let them really lead after they understand what my charge is to do. And they subscribe to and adhere to the research that's unrefutable. We have deficits that need to be addressed, but we have teachers that, um, are flat out, Carmen, wouldn't you agree that are just flat out getting it? And we need to put them in, we need to put them in positions to help uh, other teachers get it. Yes. Whereas in a place like Danville, now I might be able to say, all right, now listen, tomorrow I'm going to come and watch your outcome teacher class and you go over there. Well, it might not be that, you know, I've learned I'm having to think very systemically. All right. How do I expose Ms. McCormick? How do I expose as many people as I can to her? You know, and it, it might not happen as quickly, but I will tell you, it can happen pretty fast. And if I can interject what Ms. McCormick is doing as relates to deeper learning, and then this is back into Dr. Marshall's shop, if you will, she's taking in, uh, she's creating an entire Afrocentric or African-American curriculum with K through five. And we're piloting it in this one school, uh, very fragile school, like I said, with the demographics. And I'm saying, Dr. Coleman, here's deeper learning in a school that we would say is has a great leader, but has challenges. And then she goes, fortifies my work and I fortify her work. And now we're trying to figure out collectively how to put her in a position to fortify the need of the city and the and the uh, district. Uh, Carmen, it's exciting to hear that you're working on a, a, a new graduate profile. We think that's a terrific place to start. Uh, it's exciting that you just funded $800,000 of digital learning proposals. Uh, tell, tell me about that process. Uh, yeah. So we, um, the superintendent uh, made that possible. And he said, let's just, let's give people an opportunity to apply. And through the process, let's model what we're asking them to do. How, how many awards, how big were they? Uh, they could apply for up to $50,000. And so um, I think total, I would, I'd have to look at the numbers. I've got so many numbers in my head for things, but we were able to um, award several and, um, and there were certain criteria that, that they had to meet. We shared Hewlett's deeper learning competencies. And, and so, you know, the proposals had to really reflect that they already had a good foothold. So this first group, were more about, um, you know, many of the schools that were funded already have a good foothold. Now we hope to have, yeah, but they had to come in, they had to do a presentation for a panel. Um, so it was, it was really good. And like Dr. Marshall sat in on those with me. I mean, so I think we've sent a clear message that we're on the same page. This is about the same. We're trying to get to the same outcome for kids. So, yeah, it's this is going to be a, a fun place. I hope it's a place that you'll you'll want to feature soon. We have some cool things happening. That's really exciting. And uh, John, uh, in, in we've talked about the academic side. Have you also made progress on uh, reducing suspensions and using strategies like restorative justice? Yes. So under the leadership of um, Dr. Zeitz, who's been on board a year, year and a half now, 
my my department was charged with looking at disproportionality and subjective and some subjective infractions, and we removed them from our uh, student code of conduct, our, our handbook. Dr. Zeitz has come in and has really taken to implementing restorative practices. And she, too, is uh, working uh, and I'm working with her and we're getting some culturally competent resource teachers to go throughout the schools along with the re, um, the restorative practice support and school level. I mean, in district level support. And they're going in as a collective to help schools kind of address the disproportionality and the subjectivity. So. We have removed some of the things from our code of conduct that were very subjective and impacting students of color more uh, inaccurately and unfairly uh, at, uh, at an alarming rate. And we're trying to address that. So suspensions have not yet went down, but the culture and climate. And if you but if you look at the thermostat or the climate or of the buildings, it is it is improving in most of our schools. Long way to go. But um, again, that speaks to the collaboration and the definite the definite understanding for equity, which is the big thing for all uh, all chiefs is equity. Wow, this is really an exciting uh, story in progress. Um, Dr. John Marshall and uh, Dr. Carmen Coleman, it's been a treat to have you on the Getting Smart podcast. A big thanks to Carmen and John for speaking with Tom. If you haven't already, check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, subscribe and rate us. And for all things innovations and learning, check out our blog as well at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing off.